Welcome to Ask Peggy About Your Finances, because prosperity is so much more than money. Brought to you by writer, speaker, and certified financial planner, Peggy Doviak. Hello, and welcome to the Ask Peggy About Your Finances show. My name is Peggy Doviak, and I'm a certified financial planner practitioner. This is a show for you, to help you understand why the stock market goes up and down. To look at financial legislation that could impact your bottom line. In the Plan Your Prosperity section, we look at different financial planning topics in more detail. And finally, in the Ask Peggy section, that's your opportunity to ask me a question. So if you have a question that you would like for me to address on the air, you need to go to askpeggy.com, that's A-S-K-P-E-G-G-Y.com, and click on the Contact button. That will give you an opportunity to ask me a question. Then I'll be in contact with you and get some details sorted out, and then we can answer the question on the air and help not only take care of your situation, but try to also come up with something that can be useful for other people from an educational perspective. So let's get started with the Bulls and Bears market and economic update, and this is for the first quarter of 2019. So that's for the period from the beginning of the year through March 31st. And in that time, the stock market was on a real tear. It went up quarter to date 13.6% for the S&P 500. That's a monster huge quarter. The Dow Jones Industrial Average went up 11.75%. Real estate was on a tear and closed up 16.96%. And second to real estate was the NASDAQ at 16.82%. Gold went up a little less than a percent, which really isn't a surprise given how strong the stock market was. And the aggregate bond index went up 2.94%. Now, This is really great news. It is mostly a reaction to what happened in the fourth quarter of last year when the markets went down so hard and so fast over the government shutdown, which really did play a role in in why Q4 was so bad, as well as huge concerns about the tariffs. A lot of geopolitical things just caused the market to melt down fourth quarter. Now, you may have heard talk that the interest rate movements made the markets um, decline. They probably didn't help it, but remember that those had been signaled long in advance of when Jerome Powell actually went ahead and um, raised rates. Now, something interesting that happened um, at the very end of the fourth quarter was Powell said that he thought that he was probably done raising interest rates for a while, which I believe was probably um, said to help save his job because President Trump was really upset about the interest rate increases. He wants interest rate declines. The problem with that is we get interest rate declines when the economy is bad, not when the economy is good. And the economy is great right now. So I'm thinking that we're not going to have any interest rate movement for a while, which is probably why real estate outperforms so well, because most people have to borrow money to buy real estate. 
and it also probably helped、um, contribute to the stock market rise. There is a piece of this that needs to be looked at just a tiny bit more deeply. On, on the surface, I mean, Q1 was awesome, and I'm not going to take anything away from that. However, the month of March only saw a 1.93 percent increase in the S&P 500. Remember, the quarter was 13.6, and March was roughly less than two percentage points of that. The Dow was even worse than that, 11.75 percent for the quarter, but the month was only 0.16 percent. So I think it might be foolhardy to think that this trend is going to continue at this rate for the rest of the year. It looked like a lot of the action of the first quarter was a fixing of the fourth quarter, and then things slowed down a lot. And March was very, very flat. It was positive, but it was very flat. Much more what you would anticipate for normal stock market action. So I bet if you take the second half of last year and the first half of this year, you'll probably come out with something that looks a lot closer to the norm. You always want to look at the details because the top line screaming headlines. While accurate can be misleading, and if you have the wrong impression of what's going on, it can cause you to make poor financial decisions. Thank you to Voices of Oklahoma KVOY 104.5 FM for the opportunity to share my ideas. Thank you also to Sports Talk 1400 in Norman for production and studio assistance. Welcome back to the legislative update of the Ask Peggy About Your Finances show. And the first piece of legislative news that I'm going to talk about today is that this Thursday I'm going to be going to the Oklahoma State Capitol with our state's、um, local financial planning association chapter, and we're going to be talking to the lawmakers about financial planning, because. As the general public often doesn't really understand what financial planning is, a lot of lawmakers don't either. They think that financial planning is a life insurance policy and a brokerage account. And what makes it financial planning is it's not just the brokerage account; you get to have life insurance as well. So a lot of the lawmakers really don't understand all of the different topics that are included in comprehensive financial planning. They don't understand the certified financial planner designation very well, and so this is our opportunity to talk to them about that. Hopefully, it also can establish a better rapport with our Capitol Hill on any time that they are needing a financial planning expert, someone to come in to help testify or look at different financial planning issues, and they can contact FPA rather than some of the other organizations. This has been very, very successful around the United States, and the Financial Planning Association state chapters and local chapters, because some of the large states have several, have really great relationships with their state legislators, and it gives them the opportunity to have a voice. So we're talking about financial planning. We're also going to talk about how certified financial planners,、um, practitioners, have to hold the fiduciary standard. 
I really don't think most people still understand how many financial professionals don't have to hold a fiduciary standard and what that means. You know, and so we just try to help explain it's not really an effort to set policy because there's no policy on the table, but just to help them understand what the fiduciary standard is. And then the last thing we're going to talk to them about is the Financial Planning Association's work with at-risk adults and financial exploitation. Now, the largest group of these adults is, of course, senior citizens and talking about some of the financial exploitation that occurs with senior citizens. How does FPA play a role in that? There's even some legislation in Oklahoma about the responsibilities that people have if they think they're viewing financial exploitation of seniors. So we're going to have a conversation about that, other at-risk adults, the kinds of issues that occur, and again, encouraging lawmakers to take steps to help keep people safe. So it's going to be a lot of fun. I will talk to you guys next week about what happened, if anything was interesting. And that's my opportunity to work with the legislation until I go to D.C. this summer. So the second piece of legislative news that I want to talk about today isn't really the biggest news in the world, but I do think that it's very important that it shows the different tone that's being taken this year. You know, Maxine Waters, who is um, the House Financial Services Committee chair, has been a staunch supporter of consumer financial protection for years. You know, the problem until January was she was in the minority. And so there had been a lot of gutting of the Consumer Financial Protection Bureau under Mick Mulvaney and under the House oversight that really didn't have an issue as the CFPB was gutted. However, the times they are changing, and Mick Mulvaney is now gone. He's no longer there. Remember that the new CFPB director is Kathy Craninger. And she's being held to task for some of the activities of the CFPB and has had to come in and testify before the House Financial Services Committee. One of the issues that's come up first is the decision about kind of backing off on the Fair Lending Office that had been part of CFPB. That office was actually moved um, it was, it's no longer having direct cases come against it. It was part of um, the Obama era, Chief um, Patrice Ficklin, and it was dealing with fair lending cases and making sure that the people making the loans were exhibiting fair practices. So you get into a lot of issues here of race and socioeconomic class and making sure that people get a fair shake. Well, since Mick Mulvaney took over in November 2017, they shifted the Office of Fair Lending into the director's office, and guess what? Nothing happened since. So there have been no fair lending cases brought since November 17 because he brought that office under his purview. So now Kathy Craninger has been asked, you know, what are you going to do with this? Are you going to leave it where it is? Are you going to start looking at fair lending cases? All she would say is that that happened before she was there, and she thought that Mick Mulvaney had done a splendid job and that she would look at things and um, 
She's pledging a, quote, fresh outlook at the agency under my leadership, close quote. Well, I think that Maxine Waters is going to do a good job of keeping those issues in the forefront. The problem is there's so many issues, even just in the financial world. There's so many different places that they're rolling back regulation. They're getting rid of oversight. They're undoing a lot of the consumer protections. It's going to be a big job. And one of the things that I want you to be able to understand is what's going on and what the issues are and realizing you had a protection and now you don't. Now, if I think something wasn't fair, I'll tell you, I don't have a party affiliation that I espouse on this show. I'm just in favor of the average financial consumer, and I want that financial consumer to be treated fairly and understand what's going on, and that leads wherever it does. Thank you to Voices of Oklahoma, KVOY 104.5 FM, for the opportunity to share my ideas. Thank you also to Sports Talk 1400 in Norman for production and studio assistance. Welcome back to the Plan Your Prosperity section of the Ask Peggy About Your Finances show. My name is Peggy Doviak, and today I want to talk generally about keeping records. But I want to start out by talking about an article that I read recently. We always think about younger people being into technology. Now, when I was young, you know, our generation was brand new into computers and things, and the older generation talked about, you know, those crazy kids and their technology. Well, now that I'm a little bit older, the generation under mine, which is Generation Y, and that's also known as the millennial generation, has this reputation of being technology crazy and absolutely loving their apps. And no doubt, we all spend too much time on our phones. I think that most people, if they were honest, would say that they look at their phone too much, they look at their phone for one thing, they get sidelined by something else, everything gives you its update on the home screen, you start out trying to find out what time it is, you wind up looking at cat videos on Facebook. So there is an inherent technology consumption issue that I think most of us have. But there's been a lot of work in the financial services community to try to create something that would be appealing to millennials. And the people who are developing this, who are mostly not millennials, decided that they needed apps for everything. Well, guess what? It come to find out millennials are not as crazy about financial apps as some of the app developers think that they would be. Now, granted, the person who wrote this article did not strike me as having used the most scientific methods. He's a millennial who talked to his friends, but it was an article in a major publication I think it raises a lot of interesting issues, and that's why we're talking about it today, because I think, first of all, if you are a millennial or if you're someone who considers yourself tech-savvy and you just generally like technology or think you should use technology, 
If you're not enjoying the financial apps that are on your phone, then you know what? Stop using them. If you think they're confusing, if you think they require too much research, too much study, if they give you too much data, and you're not keeping up because you're overwhelmed, then don't do it. I want to tell you a story. So, you know, I'm a financial person, right? Well, remember, I was an English major in my first life, and so keeping my own books is not actually my favorite thing to do. But everyone told me I needed to use QuickBooks. And so I bought a subscription to QuickBooks, and I started trying to enter my data. QuickBooks is fabulous software. And by the way, this is not an ad for QuickBooks, and this is not a criticism of QuickBooks. QuickBooks is great. Substitute any, um, any sort of software that helps you keep up with your records. The problem was it kind of assumed I knew something about accounting. Or maybe it just assumed that I knew something that I didn't. In any case, I was so overwhelmed trying to get my data into QuickBooks. You know what I did? I quit entering it. Unfortunately, I also quit entering it anywhere else, too. <laughs> so I just basically stopped writing things down, which was an absolutely ineffective solution to trying to be technologically savvy. Ultimately, I went back to my Excel spreadsheets. And I know they're boring and I know they're tedious, but I can keep up with what I've spent in my Excel spreadsheets. I can create a balance sheet. I can um, reconcile my bank statements. I like Excel. And so I gave up on the technology because what happened was I stopped writing things down at all. And the reason I tell you that story is I think it's really possible that you might have the same reaction. If you've tried one of the new financial apps and you don't like it and it's hard to keep up with, then go back to your old system. I don't care if you use an app. I don't care if you use Excel. I know people who still buy ledger paper and do it by hand. I don't like doing it by hand, but I know people who love to do it by hand. If you like that, do it by hand. If you need to take pictures of your receipts with your phone and then put it into the information later, that's what you should do. I don't want you to feel guilty if you don't like using the apps. I want you to find the system that works for you, whether you're a millennial or whether you're 90 years old, whatever it is that works for you is what you should do. So just for a minute here, I want to talk to millennials because um, this is such a broad subject, but I want to give you some places to get started. So if maybe you're not maybe you're not doing anything, maybe you're not using an app, maybe you're not keeping records anywhere else, but you'd like to start getting a sense of your financial life. So what you need to do is to begin by figuring out what you spend. And not just the amount of money that you spend, but what you spent it on. So in whatever format works for you, for 30 days, I want you to write down all of your bills, how much they were, all of the money you spent going out with your friends, all of the money you spent eating out, all of the money you spent on anything. Write it all down. 
Now that's going to then give you your total monthly spending. But because you wrote down what it was on, now you can categorize it as stuff you better pay, like your house, um, like, like your apartment rent, or your car payment, or your electric bill. You probably don't own a house, but if you do your mortgage, okay? So those bills you probably better pay. Now, probably better pay in financial speak is non-discretionary. means you don't have discretion. You've got to pay it or they're going to shut off the lights. For the money that you spent, but you didn't really have to spend it, we call that discretionary spending. Discretionary spending is eating out. It's going out with your friends. It's all that stuff that you bought shopping that you didn't really have to buy. All of the money that you look at your bank account at the end of the month and you wonder where it went because your bills aren't that bad, yeah, it probably went to discretionary spending. So break those categories into non-discretionary. That means you're going to have to pay this. And discretionary, which means you might have a little bit of wiggle room. Now, once you have that, you can create your budget. Your budget obviously needs to include all those non-discretionary, better pay it items. It also needs to include spending money. Why do budgets fail? Budgets fail because we don't do a good job of handling what we're really going to do. So we set up a budget where we say, I'm never going to eat out. Yeah, you are. Do not lie. You're going to eat out. So build in some eating out money, but control it because otherwise you'll eat out, but then you'll feel guilty and you think you've blown your budget and you'll quit keeping it. So build in spending money into your budget. Once you know what your non-discretionary bills are, you can create an emergency fund and just start putting money back for being able to pay those bills in case something happened. Don't worry yet about six or nine months. Just start spending less than you make and saving the difference. You know, ultimately, that's going to work with your insurance needs, with your retirement needs. But just start with your emergency fund and then always take the time to fund your retirement. And if there's any employer match, take advantage of it because that's free money. And you really, really want to take advantage of free money. Understand anyone who is giving you financial advice. One of the other interesting things in this article is it said that people prefer using financial advisors who are in the bank because they don't want to make two stops. And I get it, but it's really important to ask that person whether or not they are your fiduciary. Are they obligated to act in your best interest? Now, the bank is, but the financial company is likely some sort of an offset, subset, somebody else who's in there. And a lot of times the financial advisors sitting in the bank lobby do not have the same fiduciary duty that the bank does. People think they do because they're in the bank, but they're actually a different firm that's just located in the bank. You should always work with someone who works in your best interest because otherwise you don't really know who they're working for. Thank you to Voices of Oklahoma, KVOY 104.5 FM, for the opportunity to share my ideas. Thank you also to Sports Talk 1400 in Norman for production and studio assistance. Welcome back to the Ask Peggy segment of the Ask Peggy About Your Finances show. 
And today's question is, Peggy, if I get an extension on my taxes, can I fund my IRA after April 15th? This question is actually more complicated than it sounds, but I'm going to answer it the way I think the person intended. And the easy answer is no, you can't. So if you're an individual and um, your taxes are due in about a week, this show's going to air on April 9th on some networks and later on in the week on others. So because your taxes are due April 15th, even if you get an extension, you cannot fund your IRA, whether it's deductible or not, or your Roth IRA after that date. So if you're wanting to make an IRA contribution, you need to hurry, finish your taxes, figure out your phase-outs, look at your thresholds, because remember that certain income thresholds cannot fund certain kinds of IRAs. For example, if you participate in your company's retirement plan, like you have a 401k at work and you put money in it, then there's only so much money you and you and your spouse or you singly can earn and still take the IRA deduction. So if you're funding the IRA because you want the tax break, you need to make sure whether or not that IRA is deductible. If you have a retirement account and your spouse does not. So you've got a job with a 401k and your spouse works or doesn't work but doesn't have a retirement account, then they can fund their IRA, but there's also an income phase out for them. It's higher than yours if you have the retirement plan, but there's still an income phase out to take the deduction. So you can deduct it, but with a lower phase out if you have the 401k. Your spouse can deduct it with a higher phase out if they don't have a 401k, but they're married to you. If you want to fund a Roth IRA, it's simply an income phase out and they don't care whether you're putting any money into your company's 401k plan or not. Um, coincidentally, it's the same phase out as what your spouse would be able to use. So maybe you can deduct it, maybe you can't, maybe you can't fund it at all. You'll need to figure all of that out before April 15th if you're wanting to make a contribution for this year. Now, if you are a small business owner and you have established a simple or SEP, IRA for your employees. You can defer funding that simple or SEP up to your um, business income tax return filing, including extensions. Now, the extension on the business taxes is September 15th because your business taxes were due March 15th. So if you haven't filed an extension yet, you might want to do that because you're about a month late. So you can fund their retirement up until when you file the return or September 15th, whenever is later. But that only applies to business owners with IRA-based small business retirement plans. So with your taxes due, remember you have to file the extension. You can't just wait if you're not done with your taxes. And even if you don't think you have a tax liability, you have to file a return. 
If you're getting any income at all, you've got to file a return even if there's no tax liability. And even if you didn't have income this year for some weird reason, like no income at all, you need to talk to a CPA briefly. And I, I realize that's an oxymoron. You made no money, so call a CPA. But you've got to be careful that you follow the rules. Too often, I hear people say, oh, I don't have to file. I don't owe taxes. That's not the, that's not the determining factor. Okay, most of us have to file tax returns until we die, and even then we usually have to have one more return filed on our behalf for the year that we died. So don't get into trouble by not following the rules. Failure to file is a penalty. Not asking for an extension is a penalty. I don't want you to lose money in penalties that's not necessary. So have a great day. Have a great week. I'll see you next time. Bye. Thank you to Voices of Oklahoma, KVOY 104.5 FM, for the opportunity to share my ideas. Thank you also to Sports Talk 1400 in Norman for production and studio assistance. You may submit personal finance questions to the Ask Peggy Facebook page and learn more at PeggyDoviak.com. And remember, prosperity is so much more than money.